And here is where the spiritual disciplines come in, because we actually engage the spiritual disciplines to keep us open to the transforming work of God. And those practices keep us awake, and they keep us awakening, um, and they continue to call us forward on the journey. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome, friends. Episode six is called The Classic Christian Pilgrimage. So, Ruth, can you give us uh, a brief picture of where we're going in the next few episodes? Yeah. Well, we're going to look, first of all, at the shape of the journey, because the spiritual journey does have a shape. It has um, moves in it. And so we're going to look at the big moves in the classic uh, Christian journey as we understand it, as our tradition has observed it and defined it. And that's a very helpful process, actually, because when you know where you are on the journey, then you know, you can understand what you should be doing on that part of the journey, right. and you don't have to be afraid of what's happening on the journey. Um, and if you know the shape of the journey, you can prepare for it as well. So that will be the first part. And then we'll also talk about the the Christian disciplines that actually open us to the journey and keep us open on the journey and that support the journey. So that's where we're headed. Great. So let's talk about the four stages of the classic mm-hmm. Christian pilgrimage. First of all, what are they? Yeah. Well, the classic stages um, are, as the, the phrase denotes, they are they are the classic ones that are identified in our Christian tradition, in the long Christian tradition. There are many, many other ways of talking about the stages of the journey as well, but it's good for us to understand these four classic ones. Um, first of all, there's awakening, and awakening is that place where we have an encounter with a living God, it's also an encounter with the true self. And so if you think about Isaiah, when he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, like he sees God high and lifted up, and then he sees himself in light of God's presence, and he says, woe is me, for I'm a a man of unclean lips. So it's the, the awakening is always a dual kind of thing. It's always an encounter with God as God really is, and it's an encounter with the self as the self really is. There's there's these both parts, seeing God and seeing my self in light of God's presence. Um, And so what can happen in this stage is that we feel comforted by the presence of God, to know that God is real and that God is present, that God is with me. But it's also a place of a feeling of threat at times. And especially if we have things in our own lives that we're harboring, that we're not perhaps wanting to be seen or that we know um, are not particularly beautiful in light of God's holiness, there can also be a sense of, of threat as well if we don't have a good perspective on who God is for us in those, in those kinds of moments. So 
um, it might be important for us to say as we talk about these stages that these stages can be seen as stages of the journey overall. So for instance, my journey from not knowing God at all, all the way to my journey to heaven. So I awaken, mm -hmm. I have a salvation experience, I enter into, you know, purgation and then illumination and then union, the final union being with with God in heaven. So we can see it as the, the shape of the whole entire journey. But I also want to say that we can also see it as the process that we go through when we become aware of places where we are not like Christ. And there can be an aspect of my life when I'm seeing God as God really is, and I'm seeing my, myself in light of God's presence, and then God leads me on the purgation path. And so it can, it can be about those places in our lives that need transformation, or it can be the shape of the overall Christian journey. And I'll, I'll probably just toggle back and forth, and we can toggle back and forth in looking at it that way. And can I make a, just a statement about mm -hmm. that? I'm so glad you brought those, the two ways of looking at it up. Mm -hmm. I think if you only look at it as the, you know, the, the linear journey of essentially waking up to God, salvation, then there's a sense of like graduating and never going back to the previous stage mm -hmm. rather than saying, no, th this is actually describes the, the ongoing process of transformation mm -hmm. in, in ways uh, like things in our lives that need to be transformed. We become awakened to, oh, I, I didn't know that about myself and now I need to reckon with it. Right. And so in that way, it, you can see it either, either as being a spiral you yeah. know, like a wheel spiraling mm -hmm. and moving us forward, or you can see it like being a spiral staircase yep. where you're circling, but you're moving up. However you look at it, we repeat these stages over and over again yes. in yes. our lives, and that's how transformation actually moves forward. Um, so as it has to do with awakening, um, we awaken to the fact that we are not who we thought we were, Yes, and God is something far more than what we thought. And so there's a feeling of comfort in knowing that, but also maybe a feeling of a little bit of threat. So there can be some ambivalence in a genuine awakening process because it's it's comfortable and threatening all at the same time. But awakening always brings us to a threshold of some sort where there's a need for us to make choices or to make a, some sort of a response to God where we actually say yes to God or we can resist God at that point. But it's it brings us to a threshold, a turning point where we actually have a choice to make. And it might be that our response to God is an immediate yes, or it could be that we have to wrestle around with it for a while, and that maybe we even re resist and refuse God for a while. But the invitation keeps coming back around. If it's if it's a real invitation from God, it keeps coming back around mm. because God does not give up on us. Mm. Um, so that's good news. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so um, the awakening is seen as the beginning of the process. It's the first step on the journey. Mm. What's the next one? Um, the next one is purgation, which is, a, again, a kind of an old-fashioned word, the, purga the purgative way. But um, after we've seen God for who God is and we've seen ourselves in light of God's presence, then there's the process of bringing our behavior and our attitudes, our desires, into increasing harmony with our growing perception of who God is and what the Christ life is all about. Um, and here is where the spiritual disciplines come in, because we actually engage the spiritual disciplines to keep us open to the transforming work of God. And those practices keep us 
awake and they keep us awakening um, and they continue to call us forward on the journey. So the process of purgation is the process of seeing ourselves as we are, but also now entering the process of letting some of that debris get cleared out, some of those behaviors that aren't, that aren't productive and effective. And I, I tell you, another place that I think Bob Mulholland's work is so valuable is in this particular place with purgation, because he actually identifies stages of purgation, mm. that purgation has its own stages. And so, first of all, there's the renunciation of all blatant inconsistencies with wholeness in Christ, those things that we would all agree are sinful and inconsistent with the life of Christ, those things that are listed in Galatians 5, those the lists of sins, you know, yeah, yeah. fornication, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, things like that. Um, and so this stage of purgation actually deals with those aspects of life that belong to the old cre creation um, and that are clearly and unmistakably inconsistent with God's will in our lives. And so most of us who are listening to this podcast have probably moved through that stage. We're, we don't, we're not harboring things in our lives right now that are blatantly inconsistent with God's plan for us. But then purgation moves us to other deliberate sins of, in our lives. Um, and so some of the behaviors that are dealt with in this stage might be behaviors that aren't inherently uniformly bad, but... Um, they are not consistent with the pilgrimage or the journey that God is calling us to right now. And so, of course, in the New Testament, uh, Paul talked about the practice of eating meat. You know, eating meat is a neutral thing in and of itself. Um, but in that day and age, it was something that wasn't loving, given some of the cultural things that they were going through. Um, so the issue of eating meat is not relevant in our day. But there's a principle there that is pretty clear, and that is that there's the possibility that a, a behavior can be destructive to myself in my own journey yes. or to someone else in their journey. And so in this stage of purgation, we're allowing God to purge us of things that aren't helpful to our journey or to other people's journeys. Maybe for the sake of love, similar For the to sake of love, for the sake of others. Yeah. Or not productive, you know? There are yeah. things we can do that aren't sinful, if you will, but they're unproductive for us. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't take us forward on the journey. They're not loving towards God because they don't take us forward. They, you know? they dissipate something mm -hmm. in us rather than bolstering something in us up or making yes, it more stable. Yes, yes. And so, you know, so one example from culture right now might be, um, you know, drinking, alcohol. Um, for some people, there's just no problem with having a beverage every so often. Um, it's just a part of the pleasure of life. But for others, they know that they have an addictive pattern in their life and that over drinking has been something that's not been productive and good for them. And so that's a temptation for them. It doesn't carry them forward on the journey. And so they, they don't look at other people who have the freedom to drink and look down on them, but they know that for my journey, this is not a good thing. Right. This doesn't take me to good places. And so um, it's loving to, to themselves and towards the journey they're trying to take with God for them to limit themselves, even though it might not be a limit that someone else has to live with. Right. And those are things we only know deep inside ourselves. Deep inside ourselves, we know, does this carry me towards God or does it carry me away from God? Does this, is this productive for my journey or is this unproductive for my journey? Right. So the next area of purgation, the third level that 
Bob Mulholland identifies is unconscious sins and omissions of our lives. And these are the things that are outside of our awareness. They are still against God. They are still not God's best vision for us, but we're not aware of it yet. Um, so God is also very gracious in revealing these things to us as we're able to bear it, as we have the ability to deal with them. And so unconscious sins are by their very definition unconscious to us until God makes them conscious. And I think an area that I feel we are actually as a Christian community becoming more aware of un our unconscious sins and omissions have to do with issues of race right now, where the white community is being made aware and there are things we just didn't think about in the ways that we needed to think about them. Things we kept outside of our awareness that are not consistent with what God is calling us to. What do you think about that, Steve? As I, I, I would say a hearty amen. In fact, um, uh, we're recording this right around the time, right after George Floyd was murdered. And I was in, I was a part of a large clergy protest march put on by black clergy here in Minneapolis. And as they gathered us together, they said, here's how this is going to go. Uh, black clergy will lead and then white clergy will follow as a symbolic way of saying, mm -hmm. we have your back. Mm -hmm. And as the woman said that, I started crying actually because I felt um, a deep sense of sadness that it took this mm -hmm. to, and then it took them asking us to have their back mm -hmm. um, for me to realize it's time for me to have their back, mm -hmm. you know, that, and that we didn't before. Exactly. That's what but I'm that saying. That was like, an omission. Yeah, that was an omission. Um, it should not take the killing of George Floyd. Um, I mean, this is not the first time this has happened. This is not an isolated incident, uh, even here in Minneapolis. And so that's an example of absolutely uh, in the issue of race relations and reconciliation mm -hmm. and justice, um, the, the sin of omission of of not realizing my lack of participation in the life of black clergy here in Minneapolis has mm -hmm. been something I've had to wake up to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and obviously there's so much that needs to be said and will be said, and it's, it's, it's so heavy on our hearts right now, but... I do think that it is important for us as white people to name this as sin. Yes. That the inequality that we have perpetuated, the, the practices that have prevented true equality, the practices that have made it possible for white people to murder black people this way is a sin. And we haven't been as aware as we need to be. We haven't cultivated it, but God, by God's grace, is, is opening it up again. And now the real question is, will we see, will we renounce sin? Will we get on a new path? Yeah. And that's, that's what purgation does. It, we see God, we see God's justice, God's love, then we see ourselves in light of that. We see how far, how far short we fall. And then we confess that as the sin that it is. And we ask, what can we do to make it right? And we get on that path, yes. that path towards making it right. So, so unconscious sins and omissions, that's a pretty big 
category right there, and that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's just something that we're very aware of right now. Yep. And then um, the last stage of purgation that Mulholland identifies is process by which God shows us and reveals to us those deep places of our being that we have not yet offered up to God. Um, the deep-seated attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which our bad behaviors flow. Um, and here purgation deals essentially with our trust structures and especially the deep inner postures of our being where we are not relying on God, but we are indeed relying on ourself for our sense of security and well-being. And this is the deep heart of the spiritual journey, the question of surrender mm -hmm. and who I'm trusting, whether I'm trusting in myself and my false self programs and the way I typically like to keep myself safe and secure and resourced, or whether I'm abandoning myself to God is the deepest heart of the journey. It's the deepest definition of the spiritual journey, I think, is the journey towards surrender, you know, from relying on self to relying on God for my ultimate well-being. And... I would say that this is the place that we get to um, in the transforming community experience for one reason, because we're together long enough, you know, to kind of sweep some of the other debris out of the way and then to finally get to the place where we're acknowledging the lack of surrender yes. in our lives and how deeply we're trusting ourselves rather than trusting God for what is most needed in our lives. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, and, and the structure of the transforming communities are so beautiful in that there's large group times, there's prayer times, there's group spiritual direction, there's individual spiritual direction, there's quiet, there's celebration. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it all provides a way for us to be able to finally look at some of those issues of surrender. Yeah, and that's the, um, the, the peeling of the onion, by the way. You know, yeah. like you peel back one layer of the onion, and then you realize, oh my goodness, this is how I'm trusting myself and not trusting God. Mm -hmm. Or a new thing happens in my life and I realize it's really hard to trust God with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you experience that in your own life, Steve? Do you have an example of that? You know, the example that I'll give is vulnerable. And in some senses, it's embarrassing to say it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I was on a walk with um, my wife, Mary. We just doing a lot of walks. <laughs> these yes, days. it's all we, we can do. Time. Yep. And I said to her, the deepest spiritual work I think I can do right now is to accept my body for how it is. Mm. I have some body shame around mm -hmm. some of my weight. I just have a different body than I used to. And I don't trust God with the care of it. I don't, and I'm treating it harshly. And I'm, um, and so, and as I said that to Mary, she was so thoughtful in how she responded but I was, I kind of blurted it out. And when I blurted it out, you know how you do that sometimes? You, you realize that's a deep truth that you just blurted mm -hmm. out. Yes, deeper than you knew. Deeper than I knew. And so um, I, lately I've been trying to like pray uh, comforting, accepting messages about my own body, um, trying to help me trying to see myself as God sees me in that way and all the ways in which I have dragged my body through the world and through my life and through history versus listening to it and being grateful for it. And so, um, yeah, that's my, that's my trust answer. I mean, mm -hmm. and that feels like a very deep, a very deep level. 
and it also feels shallow at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but that's probably the truest answer for me. Mm -hmm. But you can, you, you, you know, it's true. You know, it's not shallow because you can feel how deep it is. Yeah. And yeah. you know what your, you know what your options are in that moment. Yeah. You know, to, to either try to deal with it in the ways you always have through your own, you know, self programs, mm -hmm. self-help programs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or what you're trying to do, which is to rest yourself in God yeah. in that place. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, I mean, obviously culturally, this is a big one for women mm -hmm. and men. Oh, for sure. You know, um, and I'm just scratching the surface, but uh, of it as I talk about it here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm certainly not suggesting we just, you know, give it to God. No, mm -hmm. no, no, no. But I, there's a work to be done. Yeah. In, in me about uh, and it's a trust work um right about acceptance and yes and love and grace mm -hmm. you know yeah and this is a big one yeah and I, this i mean you know i feel some of the the very same things that you've named and i you know it's sometimes even hard to know what your response should be mm -hmm. you know um because there's also physical and the spiritual process of diminishment that comes over time mm -hmm. where we're not what we were yeah. physically, but it's like, wow, you know, did it really like this was never supposed to happen oh to me. Gosh, and yeah. you know, I have um, this joke now, really yeah. Ruth, like I say up until 45, I looked mm -hmm. 35. Mm -hmm. The minute I hit 45, I looked 55, you know? <laughs> and, and when I tell people that, like my friends and stuff, my wife and stuff, oh. they just laugh and they're, they're like, yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're not seeing that wrongly um and i agree like what you know like mm -hmm. i know i mean i know i'm 50 i'm almost 50 i'll turn mm -hmm. 50 and and i sh i cognitively know that my body mm -hmm. isn't what it used to be but i don't believe but it's hard to accept yes yes, yes. yeah well you know mulholland and now we're way beyond what we can do you know in this one episode here but um Mulholland just kind of masterfully leads us towards the life of trust in, in this purgation phase as being the move that we make, um, that we are moving through, through this process of purgation and seeing the ways in which we're not trusting God with our very selves, then the movement there is the movement towards the life of trust, mm -hmm. um, which is very liberating when we can enter into it, and talks about detachment, um, at this place in the journey where it's neither a passive resignation nor a fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes, but a consistent posture of act actively turning our whole being to God in that. So very much like what you're saying is to actively turn our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives in all situations, which is very, very different than us just imposing our own human effort on whatever it is that we're seeing, you right. know? right to actually shift into another posture, into the life of trust. Um, it's subtle, but it's it's a real shift when it happens. Well, I think detachment, and again, people, we need to figure out what, or understand what that means. Certainly it doesn't mm -hmm. mean resigning. It's actually no, very active. Yeah. Yes, and that's what he, it's, it's actively turning. He actually uses the word active. Yeah. It's a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God. Yes so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives into all situations, you know? Yes. So, and, you know, he has a whole lot more to say to that. You will have to, you know, people who are listening will have to get the book to see all that he has to say about that. 
So the stage of purgation, the way Mulholland is describing it, it's this, it's a two-pronged struggle. Um, the self that, that is not all that it has been created to be in God, and then the true self for this wholeness of self that God is calling to us. You know, that it's the interaction between those two that's, that's happening in this purgation. And sometimes it feels like quite a fight. Yeah. You know, it's the fight between the false and the true, the, you know, the false and the, the authentic self that God knows us to be, that life that is hidden with Christ in God, yes. you know, rather than the life that we establish for ourselves. Right. That's yeah. rooted in the ego mm -hmm. and in our thinking. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So then the next, so so now we've gotten awakening and we've gotten purgation. So we were talking about stages in purgation. And then the next phase is, is illumination. Um, and this illumination is the moment when we are really beginning now to, in, in whatever area we're working with. So for you, you've mentioned, you know, the life in your body where now there is total consecration. We're, you know, in purgation, we come to a deeper level of trust in whatever area it is. And in illumination, we consecrate ourselves to God in love. We say yes to God. And in that consecration, God is experienced deep within us. Um, we're more integrated. Um, we're now turning ourselves in an unceasing way towards God and surrender. Um, and we're acting on what we've on what we're seeing. We're taking, you know, concrete action. So, you know, we're just, illumination has to do with seeing, seeing more and saying yes to God and experiencing God to be at work within us as we surrender. And then finally, um, union, where now we are, and in, in, maybe say in just in this particular area, we are now living in total abandonment to God's grace. We're able to be in that place of quietness, Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Um, you know, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. So there's a place of union, that place of resting in God. Um, but what's interesting about union is that union is not just warm fuzzy, as much as you might think, um, but in this stage of union, we might also experience the dark night yes. of the senses and the dark night of the soul, which is too much for us to talk about a lot right here. Um, but it's a union that is real, even though we may not be experiencing it that way. It's definitely what Mother Teresa experienced, mm -hmm. where she was so given over to God, but she wasn't experiencing God. She was living in total abandonment, but she wasn't experiencing God the way she had experienced God before. And it was highly disillusioning to her. And she cried out to mm -hmm. God about it. Um, but the union was still there. She was still living in union. Do you think, Ruth, the reason why we feel the darkness as well as the light is when we experience union with God, there's an opening, you know, there's an opening to God. Mm -hmm. And when we open, we can't just feel the warm fuzzies, you know, mm -hmm. like when we open, we open to it all. Um, yeah. Is that part of why people like Mother Teresa and uh, others experience both tremendous light and tremendous dark, do you think? Yes. And in this time of union, it's like in a marriage where mm -hmm. you're through the honeymoon stage yeah. and you're not feeling it the way you right. used to feel it, but it doesn't change the fact that you're married, you know, that you're yes. still in a deep kind of union. I mean, marriage is a deep kind of union there may not be the trappings sometimes. Right. 
there may not be all the normal ways and that can be very disillusioning but that's the deepest part of marriage and that's when you really know you're committed that's when you really know that you're intimate is when you are able to at times live without all the sensation right that you used to have to have to feel married yes you know um and so in some ways i think god is it's you know the the um the cloud of unknowing when you know our the church fathers talk about god moving behind the cloud god's still there but god's behind the cloud so that we're not we're learning how to rely not on the externals anymore but the actual reality of this union and to trust it even when the normal ways of knowing aren't there yeah and this is it's a very purifying time for the soul um and can be troubling because we're we're still we're, we're relinquishing all vestiges of self-control even of our relationship with god mm -hmm. so now we realize you know what i am really not in control here because mm. i can't even get god to show up the way he used to right, or she used right, to right. right um and now i i am completely abandoned to whatever mm. and whatever does or does not happen that is god's that is god's way with me and i accept all and also it's important to recognize that there are there are for many some ex moments of ecstatic union in this time but that kind of ecstatic union is not the norm for anyone not even the great saints it's just it's usually just a moment and the rest of the time is lived pretty normally but in union in in real union with god um so moments yeah. of self-forgetting yeah. when we are surrendered if we even have moments like mm -hmm. that Union is usually something that on this earth we move in and out of. You know, I heard Richard Rohr recently talk about, he said, in a very remarkably vulnerable time, he said, you know, in the last 15 years, I haven't felt God much. Mm -hmm. You know, well, here's a guy who, I, I don't know, like in our lifetime, who, there aren't too many folks who are more wise and more connected, but that seems to be the reality. And then, mm -hmm. okay, you accept that. And that's part of union. Uh, and was it Mother Teresa that said, uh, I am married to Jesus and sometimes he's not the easiest spouse to live mm -hmm. with? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Well, and Teresa Babala said, you know, you know, if if you treat your friends this way, it's no wonder you don't have many friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> a know? great quote. Oh, that's a great uh, quote. Yeah. So so that is the shape of the journey. And one of the things that's helpful about knowing that is that when we when we hit these places, if you know what they are, you know how to give yourself to them. Yes. If you don't know what they are, they can be very disconcerting. And you might even think you have fallen off the path. But what we're saying here is, oh, no, you haven't fallen off the path. You are on the deepest part of the path. Mm -hmm. And so this knowledge just helps us to know that we're on the path and how to keep giving ourselves to the path and knowing um kind of what to do with ourselves when we find ourselves in these stages yeah. oh it's beautiful well that's a lot i mean that is all so helpful and i would just encourage people like we will every episode buy the book it's really yeah. he really does a masterful job of mm -hmm. explaining these things um and you did too uh ruth thanks so much for that uh is there a prayer that you would like to lead us in as we close yes Oh God, I feel like Abraham must have felt when he started his journey of obedience to you, not knowing where he was going. I am uncomfortable not having control of my itinerary, 
of not being able to choose the route. While my present state of brokenness and incompleteness is not always pleasant or comfortable, at least I'm accustomed to it and I know my way around in it. So help me to let you lead me out into the unknown. Overcome my fear with your love, my hesitancy with your hope for my wholeness. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.